Hi, welcome to One Degree Shifts. I'm your host, Pascal Tremblay, and I'm the co-founder of Nectar, we're a psychedelic support ecosystem. And today I'm really excited to talk with my friend, Andrea Langlois. She's an organizational ecologist, coolest title ever. And she's a strategic consultant, and she's been involved in the psychedelic space for well over a decade. Uh, hi, Andrea. Hi, so excited to be here. Likewise, I first met Andrea about three years ago when she was working at ICERS and she did some work with uh, the Psychedelic Association of Canada and I found her to be extremely intelligent and uh, empathetic and a real systems thinker. And today we're going to talk about systemic perspective and emergent strategy in organizations, things that I'm really passionate about. So I'm excited to, to dive in. And I'd like to start off with a quote from Hellinger who said that, love is the emergent quality of a system that works well. And I love that quote. Andrea, you're an organizational ecologist. Why do you think systemic perspectives are so important in the psychedelic space? Yes, I, the term organizational ecologist, I just heard it along the way and I thought, oh, that's totally what I do. So a lot of people think about organizational development or how do we work as organizations, as entities to make them really great. So that's what I think most exciting part of my work is. And then what benefits me as somebody who is working with different organizations or teams or groups of people really is to think of them as ecosystems. And if we think of an organization as an ecosystem or as a garden, there's different elements that need to be tended to. You have to tend to the soil, to the water. This plant might like being beside this plant. It might not. We might have different pests that are okay in this part of the system or the ecosystem and this part not. So really approaching organizations as an ecology with all these different parts that are interacting with each other is how I approach working with organizations, groups, and teams. Mm -hmm. And why is systemic perspective important, especially in the field of psychedelics? And of course, we all know psychedelics are a gateway to unity consciousness for a lot of people and to bridging the individual perspective of the world to a more collective one. But why is it especially important to approach things in the psychedelic space uh, with a systems perspective? It's a great question. I think when we were talking about doing this podcast, you were asking me, what are you most excited about in the psychedelic space? And I said, I'm actually taking a step back. I was really involved with an organization called ICERS, worked there for several years, working around looking at how do you create societies that integrate these plant medicines in good ways. And that led me down the path of doing a lot of work around the source of the medicines, indigenous knowledge, indigenous peoples, the actual physical source and conservation. And so I started to see that there was this whole other part of what was going on in psychedelics that I hadn't been looking at. And so got deeper and deeper into looking at the origins of, of how do we even come to know about these medicines and then seeing that, okay, so say Gordon Wasson goes to Mexico in the fifties, comes back with these mushrooms, this happens. Next thing it's been patented as endocybin. And then we have decades now of historical path that's happened. And so for me, it's really, mm looking at how we source our medicine started getting me to think of the even broader system. And then it's, then we go to today. It's like we have psilocybin or other or medicines that are going more into a commercial space where people are going to make money and some people have access and some people won't. And then how do the original people benefit? So really that sort of having me in terms of the psychedelic space really look at the system um, of where medicine comes from, how we even knew about it, how it evolves, and then the impact of what happens on the other end. So in terms of thinking systemically, 
really looking at it bird's eye view of how every element has some kind of impact on another part of the system. So um, I'm studying something called systemic constellations right now, which is a, a, a method to basically bring health into systems. And it started within family work. One of my teachers, she talks about the family system. And I think we could apply this to the psychedelic space as well. It's like a baby mobile. So there's mobiles that you hang above the crib. And if you touch a little part of it, it might start spinning. And one of the other little mm. animals on the other side might start spinning in a different direction. You can't quite see cause and effect, but you do know if you move something over here, it's going to impact the whole baby mobile. And so mm. Gay Donaldson uses this, this analogy, and I think it's quite a good visual to think about the system. So if you think about the psychedelic space, source some medicine from over here, and then somebody benefits over there, it's actually part of a, a greater mobile. And so when we think about the impacts, if we want to have positive impacts of our work, thinking in this way, I think is incredibly important. I feel for the for the psychedelic space, having been involved for a number of years now, it's gotten really complex. And so trying to take a step back and think about how is each element of the system impacting each other and how do we move towards having really good flow in the system where everyone's benefiting, where we're not pulling too hard on one part of the system, where we look at, for example, a systemic approach might also say, oh, we have this symptom of something that's not going well. People are fighting, which happens in the psychedelic space. You have people who are not getting along. And, and in a systemic approach, we actually wouldn't look at that as a problem. We'd look at it as a symptom of something within the system that's asking to come back into balance and also bring health to, to the whole system and, and really give us a bit of a way forward to understand what's happening here. And really looking at what is, I think, is a really important part of systemic thinking as well, is that we're really looking, okay, what really is right now? How do we map that out? How do we understand where there's blocks and where there's flow? And then use that approach to make our next move. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing is asking the question, what is of the greatest service to the entire ecosystem when creating actions, creating strategy, creating plans? And I love that you say ecosystems are constantly shifting, but they can come back into balance, right? And so it's not that it's a, it's a static thing ever. It's always evolving, always changing, always shifting. Um, and so what I'm hearing is being attuned to the overall relationships is a, a key to developing this approach to life. And so much of our Western world is focused on silos-based thinking, individualistic thinking, personal reasons for growth and personal reasons for this. And it's a system that promotes kind of blinders on. And I believe that psychedelics, one of its greatest gifts is offering this systemic based thinking and feeling that typically we haven't used before. Yeah, I think moving away from individualism is essential for the way forward in terms of understanding how do we continue life on this planet. We really need to move out of that. So thinking from a more systemic approach is just acknowledging that, okay, I have my personal system in my body. I'm part of a family system. I'm part of a community. I'm, I'm part of a workplace system. I'm part of something bigger. And then when we look at even the psychedelic field itself, it's operating within a world with lots of different systemic forces. So I had a 
incredible opportunity a few weeks ago. I was at the Breaking Convention conference in Exeter in England and a really amazing constellations practitioner and therapist, a woman named uh, Maria Papaspiru, who's also an author and she's running also the psychedelic therapy training programs here in the UK. So we did a constellation at the conference. Um, so she led it and I was what we call in, con in systemic constellations work, the issue holder. So I got to come into that space and we had 35 people in the room and she asked me to bring forward a question for the community. And it was remarkable what happened. And I, I have permission to speak about it because it wasn't a personal issue and we were doing it in the heart of a conference so that we could all get to learn. What was really fascinating is I had been thinking about the issues burning within me, which one of them is how do we create the mental health revolution for all? And if you're just listening to this, I'm putting <laughs> air quotes around that not on the backs of anybody. So how do we create a psychedelic space that's not exploiting someone over here for the benefit of someone over there? How do we think about global health? And this is the question I was sitting in with as we walked into the room and then something happened. And this is what in systemic constellations where it was just called sensing. You're just watching what's happening in this space where we call the field because we were already creating a container. It's a lot like creating a psychedelic um, ceremony space um, when you do this work. And what happened was the, the conference had 1,200 people. This workshop had room for 35 people. So we, we get there, and people flood into this room, and everyone quickly sits down because there's only 35 spots. And then a whole bunch of people come in who weren't early because they had signed up, and they were like, what the heck? We signed up, but mm -hmm. there was no more seats left. So we look around the room and then a certain couple of people who I know really well were very quick to give up to their seats to the people who had signed up. And then there was just a question asked, does anybody else who didn't sign up want to give up their seat for someone who did sign up? Anyway, this rotation of chairs happened until there was one person left who had signed up, but nobody else was getting, giving up their seat. And so she just looked around and then walked out of the room. So here we have 35 people in this room and I'm sitting there just watching all of this because some of my really close friends who I desperately wanted to be there had to leave because they didn't know how to sign up. So I, I was just really touched by this experience because I felt like it showed me something. So the question I ended up bringing to the room was based on that. So, okay, here we have the quote unquote psychedelic space how do we ensure there's room for everybody at the table in a good way? Because is it to someone's benefit because they even knew how to sign up? People who didn't sign up, they didn't even know there was an option of signing up. So why didn't they get a seat? To me represented the symbolism of what we're trying to do right now, create a space for everyone at the table in a good way. And so Maria in the interview process for the work we were gonna do, she was kept prodding at me to really get at it. And I started talking power and this. And then I said, okay, I'm not sure we're quite touching. And I said, okay, fine. How do we create space for everyone at the table in a good way when money is in the room? <laughs> and everyone got quiet. And so <laughs> as a facilitator, she was like, ah, she was sensing the room that something happened. And 
that's where we went from. And so in a constellation, you set things up as a physical living map in the room. And so we just started by someone who represented the psychedelic field, someone who represented power, someone who represented money. And then we had a holding container. And it, it was just quite interesting what, what ended up happening. And after an hour and a half, we brought in all sorts of different elements. Someone from the outside circle started really having a big experience. They ended up needing to come in as the excluded and Maria mm -hmm. ended up having to put six other representatives. So we ended up having seven women representing the excluded. We had money. We had where money comes from, like the shadow elements of money, as well as the beauty and the flow of money. And it just kept building and building. And, and what I saw was that in this constellation, it showed me that here is the psychedelic field, which ended up being this really lovely uh, man. He was looking to money with a bit of naivete and being like, oh, no, I'm sure we could work together. And he wasn't quite seeing the shadow behind, but he was committed. And then when the excluded came in, he was like, at first kind of stood back and then leaned in and was like, oh, no, I, I'm sure I can do something to help. And it was this perspective of seeing how what's going on in the psychedelic field right now is happening in a context where we have the history of money that has exploited. Where did the money come from? We also have the future of money, um, which happened mm -hmm. to be a woman who I knew, but the rest of the room I don't think knew was pregnant. So for me, she symbolized not only the future or other elements of money, but also like holding the future of money within her, that there actually is maybe a new way of doing this. But also mm -hmm. the excluded were there. And the older, the further along the line of this seven generations of excluded, the women were getting had a bit more anger in their system. And we also noted that they were all white women and that we were obviously also talking about race. And what was also quite interesting in this constellation, I was just noticing, a, funny, we didn't bring any of the medicines in. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, in it, which sometimes happens constellation, one of the witnessing circle, this woman started having a big experience. And I didn't quite hear what she said, but it was something like, I am everything that's underground. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Maria looks at me and she's, she's the mushrooms. And I was like, she's the mushrooms. <laughs> so she brings her into the circle. And at this point we'd had power, which originally I thought was like the man power was actually power, like all power. And what happened was the mushrooms, wisdom and power ended up forming this kind of triad right in the center of everything. And in, in a constellation, what we're working to do in, in any systemic intervention, we're trying to find everything to get it in its right place, which means that you have to acknowledge um, systemic orders like time, belonging, place, and exchange. And so what ended up having to happen was the, the psychedelic field, we had to bring in some resources because this guy was, this was all way bigger than him. So we brought in several resources for him and then he needed to look at the mushroom and, and say, you were here first. I came second. I came mm -hmm. after. And the mushroom was, he also says, you are, the mushroom was like, you are the oldest knowledge. You are the original knowledge. And then everything started to settle. And, and we actually didn't get anywhere near to any place of resolution or completion. But I was particularly struck by how it was the mushrooms that came in. There was a moment where Maria looked at me and said, oh, should we bring in other medicines? And it was clear, no, that the, the mushroom was the original source of knowledge and that things started to get a bit more um, into a flowing place or a bit more strengthened, especially for the psychedelic field or the person representing that when 
he was able, when he really acknowledged the ancestor <laughs> mushroom and came into the right place. And so what this constellation showed me, on one level, it was extraordinarily humbling, I have to say, to actually hold a question for the whole community. Because what I ended up seeing in front of me through this kind of work was there's a storm inside of me that has all of those components. And I got to see it outside my body in a room with 35 other people who mm -hmm. in an embodied way witnessed it and felt it from whatever place. Like we had greed show up, love was in the room. And I got to see how some of these issues that are really impacting the psychedelic field, the space where money's come from, the potential future of money, the exclusion, the wisdom of the mushrooms that that we're operating in a much bigger ecosystem and that, of course, the psychedelic field didn't create the problems with money, but it's operating in relation to that history, whether or not it created it. And we can argue about whether it's perpetuating some of that now or not. And so I guess I'm um, mm -hmm. just really grateful to be able to, to share this. I'm grateful for Maria for holding that space and for Breaking Convention for allowing us to do that because it it helped me relax a bit to see, okay, other people saw what I saw that day. And the, the amazing part about this work is we don't debrief it. It goes out alive in each of us. And all of the people in that room had an experience of something, which to me was really seeing something from a bit of a broader perspective and not just focusing any one element. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just an example to, yeah, I think maybe show rather than tell um, what the power of looking at things from a different angle can be. That's beautiful. And those 35 people are also connected to, the, I think, 1,200 people around the space, which are not actually physically present, but present in their energy. And uh, it's beautiful to approach things that way. And it really uh, illustrates so well how psychedelics are, yes, about personal healing and transformation or activation of the consciousness and all those type of things. But it's also helping us reframe systemic, global universal challenges that we face as humanity. And so the opportunity is really there to widen the lens and open up the aperture to something much greater than ourselves. And that's what that type of process allows us to do. And I think a lot of us are at some level tapped into that high level consciousness, but we don't necessarily attune to it as much as we could if we just sat down with the intention of I'm going to tune into the collective field around me or even my family yeah. or my teammates on a team. And you talk about awareness-based thinking, which I'd love for you to help us understand what that means. You're talking about it with that breaking convention exercises, mm -hmm. thinking beyond our mind and tuning more to awareness. And how do you leverage that in your life? Yeah, I think it's an ongoing learning. We all know that sometimes we sense things in different parts of our body and really separating it maybe between intuition and instinct. So it's like, how do we develop a skill of being aware of what's happening in our bodies, I think is the first place to start. So somatically, our bodies are often way ahead from our minds. And so it's, oh, I feel a little bit off what's going on there. You know, mm -hmm. and so getting people really into the bodies, but also sensing as a group. So I'm particularly interested in how we're moving into a time, some people say about group consciousness, not individual consciousness. And so some of these ways of thinking or ways of thinking together are about how do we tap into the collective knowledge? So if people have ever been in a group space in a psychedelic ceremony or an ayahuasca ceremony, sometimes things happen in those spaces where you're like, say, 
thinking about water and the power of water. And then you hear somebody across the room say the word water or getting into these other spaces. So we know they exist. So how do we actually just attune ourselves to that within groups and thinking about how teams work or how organizations work? I'm particularly interested in practices that can support us to think in generative ways as a group. So I, I've also trained in dialogue facilitation. That's another way that I've gone about things. It's a bit more through how do you construct meaning and sense making through dialogue, not through debate. How do we get into more somatic practices? Um, how do we work with things like systemic constellations or breath work or group meditation where you're actually meditating on a common thing? And our ancestors knew this. <laughs> Mm -hmm. More animist cultures knew this, they know this. Today, it's actually just a process of remembering. And for me, it's an ongoing practice. I'm by far, I'm not there yet, but it's really working with the intelligence of our system um, through dreams. How do dreams support us? There's many indigenous people, particularly in parts of Ecuador, like the Sapara people who get up at four in the morning, drink guayusa and share their dreams because the dreams belong to the community and they make decisions based on that. So there's a lot of different ways in, and it doesn't need to be extraordinarily woo-woo or inaccessible or not fit with different ways of working. I think it's really about getting back into sensing ways of knowing and validating that, you know, and, and seeing it as valuable as ideas-based thinking. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing through what you're sharing is, and it's interesting because a lot of this is happening in the backdrop of, urgent social issues that we need to look at very seriously. And uh, at the same time, it's asking us to go through a process of unlearning of really leveraging the mind and the one-to-one -one relationship we have of ourselves. And instead of asking our brain and asking our immediate surroundings is asking the system itself what it needs. So it, in a way, it's very counterintuitive to operate that way for a lot of people. It, it is a process of unlearning, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm in a big shift because I've put down a lot of my thinking based work and people are now re-engaging with me like, will you help with this? And I was like, yeah, I'll help. But it's going to look really different. We're probably going to put pieces of paper on the floor. We're going to map it out. We're going to stand on them and see what the field has to say, because it through our bodies and our connecting into this kind of quantum field, whatever we might call it, we'll actually get more information about what the interrelationship is between different elements. And I think that's the real key. I've talked about this around plant medicines before. It's a great example from my when I was working with ICERS. My dear colleague, Ricard Fauda, went to Gabon. And we were doing this work looking at biocultural conservation of, of Iboga. And we'd been asking a question internationally to lots of different people through this big engagement project. What's your ideal vision? Furry Boga. I love questions like this that have us dream into the future. And then he brought the question to Gabon to some traditional Bwiti practitioners and they just look at him. What do you mean? And what I came to understand what was happening in there is he'd walked into a restaurant or something quite complex and asked somebody to tell them about the chair. <laughs> and that this is a complex system of health. This is a complex system of knowing a complex spiritual system um, that incorporates spirit and plant matter and music and dance and community. And he went to talk to them and asked them about one item of that, where if you actually took out the chair, the whole restaurant was still there. Maybe you'd have to sit on the floor, but it, 
it was really a wake up call for me of what I was seeing in this psychedelic space is that we get fixated on the molecules, the plants, the mushrooms, rather than understanding the complex systems, the complex ways of knowing the complex ways that these medicines work, which is quite relational. We're, we're so focused on that one piece that we weren't seeing the whole. And so I think finding ways that help us to see the whole, that help us see problems as symptoms that are showing us what needs to be unblocked so that things can flow. It feels to me like a, a different way of thinking, but if I look around, there's like all sorts of different traditional communities and peoples that have, they continue to think in this way. And I, I think we have absolute capacity for it. But in the psychedelic space, if I was to encourage more systemic thinking, part of that is removing this, this absolute fixation on understanding what a molecule does in the brain. Not that it's not interesting or valuable, but that there's a lots of other, there's a lot of other elements to how things work. That mm -hmm. it's really important to, to, to think about, not just the chair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not just the chair, the whole restaurant and beyond. You mentioned flow a couple of times now. And it, when I think of flow for me, for example, I think of non-friction or I think of energy flow in terms of smoothness or clarity and love as well. And for people who are kind of practicing and, and learn more about systemic thinking, can you tell us more about flow? Because it seems like that's the the glue or the gel that connects the relationships. That's the ideal state that we have is that there's flow between the relationships. Can you tell us a bit more? Is it about attuning energetically and from the heart feeling that there's flow or? Yeah, I guess it's, so it's, yeah, it's very different than I know people are also talking about how to get into a flow state with your work and that's not like, quite what we're talking about. Systemic constellations also called family constellations. We're really brought as a deep way of knowing and, and that was taught by a guy, a man named Bert Hellinger. And he looked at different orders, ordering forces within systems that enable the health of the system. And one of the things, because he was working with family systems and he, some people will say that he, cause he worked in Africa as um, a missionary and with the Zulu people. And while he was with them, from what I understand, he started seeing this kind of deep connection to the ancestor realms. And so some of this work, particularly if you're looking at family systems, is looking at how well does the life force from our ancestors flow through that family system into us and into our lives. So it's really our lives did not do not only exist in the present. There's this whole few past of all these different relatives who had to survive what they survived in order for us to even be here. Life flowed through, but what happens in systems, and we can translate this over to organizations, which I, I can do in a moment. So he was looking for like, where are their entanglements? Like where are their, where's their blocks of flow? Because the system itself just wants wholeness to exist. So it could be through a family constellation, you might recognize that two generations ago, something occurred with one of your ancestors that you're repeating as a pattern in your life now, because the system wanting wholeness wants that to be included. And so in, in family constellations to return the flow of love and life in the system, we would actually go to that place and then include it. Because what's excluded is often what's creating blockages in a system. Um, and yeah, Ed Rowland, another one of my teachers, he's a great example. And I think this is really relevant for organizations of what he calls the ejector seat in an organization. So somehow maybe you've worked somewhere 
where there's one role in, in the organization, you can never keep somebody in it. So let's say it's the finance director. It's like person after person, they just get ejected out of that seat. So this more systemic perspective would be like, huh, what happened there? And there are sometimes stories or stories that we just don't tell. Someone's just walked out the door, but the emotion stays in the system. And because a system is looking for wholeness, it's actually holding that in that place so that it, until it gets included. And so it's quite simple, actually, the, the way to fix it is you actually just include it. Oh, so on three finance directors back, he was fired, walked out of the office, et cetera, et cetera. And just by even including it and acknowledging it and giving it a place in the system, you actually will return flow to that. It's like telling the story of what happened in the system in an organization and suddenly people can actually take on that role. So we're really looking at what's been excluded. What are we not talking about? It's like the elephant in the room. You actually want to bring it into the room. And simply by acknowledging that you can actually bring flow back into the system. And so this perspective really, when I think one of the key orders that's talked about is belonging, that everyone belongs to a system and you can't unbelong to your family system. You cannot talk to anyone in your family, but you still were born into that family. But even when, within organizations, we bring our sense of belonging that we've experienced in our families into the organizations that mm -hmm. we work with. And that we work in and we'll reproduce things there. And we're always looking for what are the underlying rules here that will make me not belong. And so attending to who came first into the system, attending to belonging, attending to the principle, the order of exchange, who gave what, who receives what, and that needing to be in balance, that when we attend to these main organizing principles within the system, then flow can happen. And you bring energy. So we're always looking like, where's energy blocked? And how do we actually attend to some of these things so that we bring more energy in? Thank you. I, lo I love it. It's really interesting. Um, it shows us that none of us are in an island, on an island by ourselves, and organizations are the same. I have a lot of hope and optimism around the psychedelic space and specifically around organizations and the potential for us to break the silos and attune more to the wider field and really engage into deeper empathy and collaboration with other organizations. And you said, and that's what we've been talking about is like a sense and respond kind of way of operating in the world rather than always thinking and planning and compartmentalizing everything. It's more of a evolutionary purpose type of engagement with the world that is really more around a listening and, and organically feeling how to navigate the world. We need to adapt and resource back to the system from the juicy margins to feed back knowledge into it. I'd love for you to talk more about what that means to you. Ali Biner had done an interview with Paul Stamets and Paul Stamets in this interview talked about how mushrooms, I thought it was really fascinating. So mycelial networks, it's the places where they're disrupted on the margins, something cuts them up or they encounter a difficulty, etc. That's where the greatest knowledge happens because mm -hmm. that part of the, the place of disruption, say there's a new food introduced or something, a new predator or something, that that part of the mycelial network will then learn and adapt and feed that knowledge back into the whole mycelial network that then gets to learn about it. And what I really took from that is also looking at the societies that we're living in right now where there's a lot of folks on the margin. 
I think thinking about people of color, so BIPOC communities, queer communities, indigenous communities that have really been facing the margins in these places, the high sites of high disruption. What can we learn from those sites, not going and trying to take the knowledge, but really respecting that people who've been in spaces of disruption, refugees, people who faced climate collapse, that those are extraordinary sources of knowledge and information for adaptation that we really need to listen to. And so that interview really impacted me. Also has me thinking about books as much as they can be supporting us to come into a different way of feeling and sensing the world into understanding things in a different way, maybe having experiences of unity. They're also disruptive in that they're disrupting how we are in ways of knowing. Some people say, how can you call psychedelics safe? They disrupt our ways of thinking or our, even our, our understanding of what matter is. And if we can see these sites of disruption as, yeah, as knowledge on how to adapt and emergence, it's like how do you adapt and, and see what wants to emerge and really listening to the people who've had those experience and creating space for that is something that I'm finding yeah, quite interesting right now as we ponder really huge huge social issues like we're living in very complex times of change and somehow i remain extraordinarily hopeful mm -hmm. yes i am too i i trust in the, the human potential and i see us navigating these difficult times in a beautiful way and as well for me in terms of relationship to social issues is the non-attachment to things ever being quote-unquote good because that's not what uh, chaotic systems like the universe are always have to be in order. There's no guarantee that's going to be the case. And I find a lot of peace and yes, trusting the process and, and hoping for the best and also surrendering to the fact that we don't really control a whole lot of anything except our daily everyday actions. And that is ground for change. And I love that you bring in uh, the edges for an organization, for society and for people as well as a source of really impactful growth. There's a, a beautiful elder here called Duncan Grady here. He's a Blackfeet elder Duncan. and he talks and he talks about turning and embracing towards instead of facing away from things, it's turning and embracing them. And so much of what you've talked so far today is around embracing different perspectives, embracing the intuitive field, embracing the different attunements that we receive when we tap in outside of the mind. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that turning and embracing? Because our relationship to those edges are, are filled with strife sometimes and challenges. And that's when the going gets tough, right? It's when we face those edges. And yet it's the source of sometimes the greatest wisdom we can receive. A great question. It may, it, the first thing that comes to mind, Pascal, is I remember reading some of the accounts of some of the clinical trials of psychedelics and how they always say, if you see the monster, don't turn and run, actually ask, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I think that's that prompting of people within their journey to actually look and face, um, to face something I think is incredibly powerful. And so how do we do that right now? And I feel like as we've been speaking, I, I'm very aware of my extraordinary privilege. I think there's a lot of people facing 
really difficult times from different climate-related issues, poverty, refugees, war. So even to sit here and talk about these things is incredibly privileged. And so not wanting mm-hmm. to, yeah, to pretend it, 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 that in my hopeful state of the kinds of things we're going through right now, that there's some people it's extraordinarily hard to face into to what's happening. And it's a day-to-day, yeah, it's day-to-day survival. Yet there's also the part of me that's also here, which is thinking, okay, I've been looking at a lot of different theories of how change can happen. And that there's often this kind of group of visionaries who are dreaming the new world into being as we head there. And this is really exciting to me and interesting. And then there's people who are trying to hold the system that that is collapsing at the same time. And there's kind of entrepreneurial folks who are gonna try a bunch of different things. And so I think we all have our place and that from where we stand, is like, how can I best face into what we're experiencing as humankind right now in the best way that I can, you know, which is maybe looking around me and be like, how do I support biodiversity where I live? How do I lend my support to different issues? And also think about how we respond to these big waves that are coming through right now. And I think it is about facing it. I, I did have, I had a journey once with medicine and it was a, a difficult one that basically what I came out was that I need to actually do more witnessing. And mm. I, I don't really look at much of the news. I have a bit of a sense of what's going on, but that I actually needed to need to look and I need to watch and I need to witness. And so I think that that element of opening, opening our eyes to seeing what's happening and it touches into not turning away and seeing that I need to witness what's going on and I need to be present as much as I can to what's happening. Which is part of the attunement to the field is actually looking at what's on the peripheries and enriching our own perspectives with those of, of others. Yeah. And this, the training that I'm well into right now, right, doing systemic constellation work, the, the number one training I'm receiving is complete acceptance of what is. And even standing by the part of the system where the perpetrator is standing. Because what's there that needs to be included? What's there that we don't want to look at? What healing needs to happen there? And really accepting it all or seeing it all, except I think is an incredible important part of taking stock of what's happening now so that we can really turn towards the future and really harness the energy of the system to bring about positive change. And I think something that's important for me to touch on too, if we think about the psychedelic space, I think one of those elements that threads into a bit of what we've been talking about, the hyper focus on the individual is very much there and it is a bit troubling to me. It makes sense within our system that we're in within the current Western cultures. And of course, as we pull these kind of ancient technologies into existing systems that are very much focused on the individual, I get concerned. I think, of course, people need individual support and therapy, but I'm also very curious about opening a bigger space for understanding the collective and group processes within the psychedelic space. If I dream the future into being one of the things I think would be really interesting is moving to spaces where we actually hold group intention um, in medicine circles, in psychedelic spaces, rather than just individual intention. You know, what can we open to if we ask a 
a question that is for the greater good than just ourselves. What does my community need to do to X or how can we be in better support of flourishing life on this planet? What are the medicines asking for, uh, from us? I think some of these bigger questions, if we actually all dedicated our journeying time and our space of exploration with these very sacred medicines to actually come back with knowledge that we then weave together that then belongs to the group. It's something I'm quite interested in. Come back to this piece around, around group consciousness and what the true potential is, I think, for the psychedelic space is really to hold... Yeah, hold space for more than just the, the individual healing. Not that's unimportant because, of course, people are struggling and, and are looking for support in a lot of places. But really returning to this more holistic perspective of like maybe that I'm looking at a beautiful tree out the window here right now. What role does that tree have in my day to day life and in a ceremony? And so how do we connect more with nature? How do we do? Mm. Yeah, how, how can the psychedelic integration into Western culture incorporates some more of these components such as community and group intention. Yeah, beautiful. And I love that idea so much. And it's not that it's a new idea. It's been done for many thousands of years before. And some of us starting to re rediscover our, our connection, our collective power, really to dream together and build together and collaborate together and go beyond the self into creating something that's beyond the sum of all parts. And so I think that's a beautiful to me, it's at the core of rewiring and <clears throat> reframing a lot of our systems is opening up to the, the the larger whole. And so much of that has been shown to us by Indigenous communities already and how they, they dream as a community, they share as a community. The language that they even have reflect the different relationships that, for example, we have different words for different things that for them, they'd be like, I don't know what that means because <laughs> the way the language relationship is already wired into this collective way of seeing the world. And I love that you're bringing sort of this intention around more group therapy and not that individualized therapy is not useful, but something that allows us to connect together and really tap into this collective that a lot of times like our systems, I feel in general, are very suppressive of that collective intelligence. The media and, and everything that we, we consume on an everyday level oftentimes talks about individualized needs, individualized projects, individualized missions. A lot of it is driven by that narrative. And so when you talk about this and you take a training around, that's really helping rewire the system in, in a very real way. What are some ways that you feel like are good processes and, and ways, for example, facilitators or maybe people doing integration work right now or people hosting retreats that they can weave in more of that group consciousness therapy modality? I feel it starts with them and how they're working together to begin with. I think it's really starting in the foundation. If I were to pull the group of people together, support a group of people that were forming some kind of collective project, I would start there. If in the foundation of how they work together, they're actually engaging with the people that they're working with to harness ideas together, to do group meditation, breath work, but with the idea that maybe a piece of what I learn in that meditation or the something I come back from the dream world with is actually belongs to the group. And if we put it in the middle and we make sense of it together with whatever you captured and caught, then 
we're starting to weave together this idea that my brain is actually not, and my consciousness is not an entity onto its own, that it's actually connecting in with all of the world around me. And so oh, my I think- brain is really disappointed to hear that now. My brain is, <laughs> no, I want to be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, for me, it's like, how are we even doing this work? And so within the psychedelic field and spaces, I'm really curious of the folks who are doing these startups and different projects. Are you sitting in either ceremony together or group meditation? I, I, and I keep saying meditation because I don't think that everything needs to involve psychedelics. I'll be really clear about that. I'm not encouraging anyone to take anything. Of course, if that's your modality, you might want to really make sure you're connecting in as a group with the medicines you're working with, but for the intention of the group, not just for oneself. But I think there's different methods that we can work within teams to actually start building within to the structures of organizations that we're sitting together as acknowledging that there's a group here, that there's us and there's a group, and then there's all the systems we each belong to. I saw this image recently of a peacock. Let's see, if you think of the peacock, a male peacock with its feathers right out, and each one of those is one of the systems that we are a part of. We actually are bringing that all into whatever group we're a part of. And so for me, I think it would really start with the people who are doing the work. So we can only practice or we can only teach or hold space for what we know in ourselves. I really, I really believe that. So that's where I would start. And I think it just would shift things and for organizations. I'm really excited about the organizations of the future. I feel like in the psychedelic space, my hope has always been that there is a kind of innovation and openness to doing things differently. And so just really encouraging folks to feel into that and to explore how to build teams together, how to work as organizations in a new way or in a, a new old way. Because some, some of what I've learned, I was really lucky to work with an Indigenous-led organization in Colombia called UMIAC. And I went to their territories in 2019 and the meetings we had were in a ceremonial space and people talked to each other and it was really eye-opening. And I don't think I understood very much at all, but I understood a tiny bit about what it looked like to live in a collective community and to bring things together more collectively. And so it's that's been an inspiration to me. And part of what gives me hope is that there are yeah, it, it's sitting around a campfire is age-old technology. Let's get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of Frederick Laloux's beautiful work in reinventing organizations around <laughs> the teal model of evolutionary purpose-driven organizations, which are all about self-management and conscious leadership. And I'll put a link in, in the notes around that book and specifically how it really gives us a, a map of what a potential more conscious organization in the cycle or any other industry could look like. And I am really also really excited about that. And ultimately to me, it means looking at nature and the systems in nature to really help us, to inspire us and to really educate us on how a harmonious multi-relationship organization can look and feel and operate from. And uh, this brings me to uh, leadership. Um, so for organizations uh, in the space that are looking at doing this or, or are people in general interested in doing this that have leadership positions or are part of teams that want to they want to bring this into their organization of course leadership often reflects the, the organizational from an external and internal perspective and so what are 
What do you see in terms of leadership when navigating systemic perspectives and more collective consciousness? What I've really learned is that as a leader, we bring our family systems in with us. And that's been really fascinating for me to dig into how we mm. felt in our family systems comes with us everywhere. And I think we have to think of those mm. different levels. Like there's the personal, what we bring in personal, thinking of the team, thinking of the organization. So there's these different layers. So I think as a leader, I think practices that can help with sensing and seeing the whole organization. So working with people, there's lots of systemic coaches out there that can bring these kinds of practices into organizations. And so really thinking about how do we feel into what's happening within the organization from different places and understanding organizations as evolving, as alive, as emergent and being curious. I think that's the biggest thing is being willing to see what's happening around us as leaders. And so I particularly like working with leaders because I have a real passion for supporting people who can have, who are going to, if they're successful in really finding their ground um, and seeing things differently and sensing into things differently, that they have quite a broad impact on the organizations that they're leading. So I think recognizing that how we are internally creates waves and we bring it into the organizations, particularly as leaders. And so I think finding ways mm -hmm. to, to have that kind of support to see the organization systemically and also to be understand that, they are, that our inner state as leaders impacts the organization. So if we're confused, the organization's going to feel the confusion if we're... Mm -hmm. Having, it's like one of my teachers was saying that her bookkeeper who doesn't know anything about her life can tell when she's doing well or not because her business is doing a lot better when she's not having <laughs> as many difficulties in her personal lives. And so I think acknowledging that and then just creating networks of mutual support. I think anyone can lead yes. from everywhere in the organization and finding that kind of alignment. The other piece that's been really big for me lately is knowing what, knowing our expiry date. We're having people <laughs> around us who retell us. And that's something that's a way of wording that this teacher, Jan Jakobstam, I recently did a workshop with because he's closing this teaching part of his life. And he said that. And so I've been doing a lot of reflection on endings, that beginnings matter, endings matter. And how we leave a system, which we can, if it's not our family, we can actually leave an organization. There's a lot of energy in a leaving and in an ending. Mm -hmm. And so really thinking through as a leader, I think if you focused on just a few things, it's like, how do people enter into the system? How do we tell them the story of what's come before? How do we attend to the different elements of belonging within the organization? How do people feel? How do we have conversations about that? And also what happens when somebody leaves? How do we tend to that in a really good way that acknowledges them for what they've contributed, that really does, is conscious of just not just someone just is just gone or that it's just really awkward. So I think thinking about a few of those elements I find are really important to beginnings, endings, belonging, or I think are a few touchstones that leaders in organizations can, can tend to in order to create healthier organizations. Yeah, beautiful. And I can share personally, like being a co-founder of Nectar, like how much 
the business side, if you want to call it, the organizational side of Nectara is like so intertwined with my personal story and my personal life and my own trauma and my own stories and my own sensitive points and my relationship to my dad and my mom and my friends. And like every day, like everything I'm doing is coming through that lens. And I like to practice a lot of attunement into what's happening. And of course, sometimes the awareness doesn't quite catch on to something. So I have a support team, including my partner, Elaine, who will tell me like, you're not operating from the right space right now, or maybe this is not the right decision, or maybe this is coming up for you. And, and so I find that essential for leaders to really have a deep support team and, and really having that, that question of where am I leading from right now? Is it from a place of dysregulation or a place of, of, of hurt or a place of etc.? And I find a lot of potential for that, for growing for organizations is that having that cycle of feedback or the cycle of support, a cycle of attunement and having the practices like you shared just now around tapping into the collective. And I have two more questions and, and one of them is related to this last one, which is as a person who's really tuned into those ideas, like how do you personally leverage these ideas in your day-to-day -day life? Great question. Practices, yeah, I think strong yoga practice, movement, being in nature, and sometimes those just feel like parts of my day until I don't actually have enough time for them and then I notice I start to get tired. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and then different kinds of ritual practices. I've spent um, a bit of time the last few years in the UK and what I've loved about um, the communities here is that there's really growing land-based spiritual practices like doing land offerings, drumming, being with other people, reviving different Celtic traditions, which some of my ancestry. So attending to my ancestry and learning about what happened in my family, where there might've been people that were forgotten has been a big part of what, what I've been working through recently. It's a way to see if I can actually feel more ancestral energy coming to me. I'm just learning, where did I come from? Where are my people from? One of the greatest gifts, I think, of some of these medicines that don't come from where I'm from, that, I, that have been a part of my life is they've woken me up to thinking about my own lineage, the land I'm on, connecting with the land every day. Those have become really important practices that keep me grounded and here in the here and now. When having, I have mentors. I think that's also incredibly important people who've seen me over a period of time. So I think between kind of body-based practice being eating healthy, thinking about where my food comes from, and then having mentors and people around me and, and different communities. It's definitely what helps me bring energy to the work that I'm doing. And I'm one of those lifelong learners. I love a good workshop and places to think and evolve. And so I'm in work in progress at the moment because I'm really moving out of really being inside organizations and helping run them and wanting to be more and more in this mentoring and consulting space so that I can come in and, and offer that kind of support, which I'm noticing really that one of the biggest commitments I have to myself is that when I do deep work with for myself or with learning or with different groups, that I actually need to write in integration time and take it and take days of rest. And that is not as easy, easily said than done because I just want to just keep moving. But I think that's really something that's become very important in terms of how I'm able to, yeah, just have the energy 
and to keep up with these things. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. And I've heard this for from multiple people now around the idea of grounding and slowness and resting and how that's just an essential piece of any system, right? And for us to move into the system in a good way and a healthy way is to ground and rest and slow ourselves down a lot more than we're used to. And so I thanks for bringing that in. And I have one last question, which is a really big one, but I really invite you to bring in your inspiration cap here. And, and I'm going to ask you, what's your greatest wish for the space or even society in general for the next 50 years? Wow. I'm going to sit with that for a minute. So as I sit quietly, I actually am hearing birdsong really strongly outside the window here. And when I hear songbirds, there's a, it's both really beautiful and then there's this kind of shadow side that comes in and I'm like, oh gosh, what happens when the birds are gone? And so I think for me, biological and cultural diversity has really come into my awareness as being a really critical an important part of our path forward. And there's a really great organization that works internationally that I worked with for a while. It's called Flourishing Diversity, and that's really their focus is this biocultural conservation, as well as the Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund that I was part of. And yeah, in my heart of hearts, as I look at this big oak tree out the window and I hear the birds, it's really that we are able to as much as we can with our, our capacities. Some people live in cities and apartments and have to work long hours, um, but that we can really start to see how being part of a really diverse ecosystem brings so much health and benefit to all of us. Um, and so where we can to play a role in contributing to the preservation of biological and cultural diversity and then just really celebrating it and finding ways to merge in. I hope 50 years from now that this question that we are touching on today of am I an individual or am I part of everything that we're actually not asking that question anymore, that we've reconnected with a way of knowing that just knows that we're not alone, that yes, we are in these kind of human bodies. So we have this individuality, but that we're very much connected in and that we can both contribute to and source intelligence and knowledge from all of the seen and unseen world around us. So that would be my greatest hope of where we're going as a society, as a people, as a as part of Gaia. That's beautiful. And I'm going to tune in after the, uh, this podcast recording to send a prayer so that everyone in the world can receive a little touch of, of energy around that idea. I think it's a very essential one, so important. And thank you for bringing that up. And if you're listening to this right now, please go outside and connect with a tree or birds or just sit around and look and witness the beauty and all the relationships that are just around you in that moment. It's a beautiful thing to witness. And how recharging and, and restful it can be. And I'll be doing the same thing. Andrea, thank you so much. That was lovely. Your brilliant mind, brilliant heart. Thank you so much for sharing and doing this work and looking forward to connecting again and having you as a consultant and all sorts of things because I think you bring a lot of really deep attunement and wisdom to things that are so important to look at. Thank you so much.
Really appreciate it. Thank you, Pascal. And an enlightening conversation. I, I love how it's flowed and weaved between us. And hopefully people can take some inspiration if they like it, leave the rest. And just, yeah, really grateful to be a part of the weaving that's happening within the psychedelic space at this moment in time. Thank you. Have a lovely day with the birds. Mm -hmm.